0: Blog Talk Radio <laughs> Show brought to you by Calm Bach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor in chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and of course, living a self sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Combox Feeds. At Combox Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all-natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Combach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry, from rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams. Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. The Yard Bird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The 1.5-horsepower motor and 20-inch stainless steel tub can handle two 8-pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance-free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardbirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardbirdChickenPluckers.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both Bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at HenSaver.com. That's HenSaver.com. Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. This looks like a job for... Super Chicken? You get the super sauce, I'll don my super suit. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Brought to you by Kalmbach Beads. We have a great show lined up for you today. We have Dr. Patescu, who's going to be teaching us all about heat stress. <laughs> and chickens. It's that time of year. I know uh, we've been dealing with a lot of heat around the country over the last several weeks. Of course, it is summer, and we're going to be talking about uh, the effects of uh, your poultry, kind of maybe ways to uh, uh, keep them comfortable, maybe not cool, but keep them comfortable uh, during the summer months. Uh, I've said uh, a million times, if I've said it once, that heat is far more detrimental to your chickens than the cold ever will be. And it's interesting as – and I think I put this in an um, a article in my um, magazine at one point. I said it's interesting to notice over the years how, as humans, uh, we feel like uh, – or a lot of them, <laughs> a lot of chicken keepers feel like they have to keep their poultry, their backyard flock – warm and toasty in the winter time, but they almost, it never really crosses their mind about the summertime. Uh, for example, uh, they'll move for, <laughs> for my my observation, they don't even think twice about heating the coop in the winter. Oh, yeah, I've got to put a heat in there. Toasty, warm, nice and happy. But yet they, putting an air conditioner in the coop in the summertime may not even ever cross their mind. So it's interesting human nature how uh, the, the backyard uh, hobbyists, for some reason, think uh, I've got to keep them warm in the – especially new chicken keepers, they'll think uh, winter's coming, it's going to get cold, um, I need to keep them warm and toasty and happy because they're my, my uh, pets and, and this. But once summer gets here and it's hot and it's humid and it's just miserable, and um, they, they for some reason and, – and I actually got in a conversation years ago with a young lady – and uh, talking about putting a heat in her coop and, you know, she wants her birds to be happy and comfortable and, and that type of thing. And I challenged her and, and basically on a post that said, well, do you have an air conditioner in your coop? And I think her response was something, well, no, now you're just being silly. <laughs> I'm like, uh, you know, I could almost justify having an air conditioner in the coop m- lot more than I could having a heater in the coop. And she thought I was pulling her leg or yanking her chain or something but i was like you know i you know, went through the heat is far more detrimental than the cold ever will be that type of thing and and whatnot so she thought i was joking with her but you know when i was writing this recent article um it, it was it made me think i was like it's interesting that human nature us as humans will will for some reason panic or think about putting a heater in the coop in the winter but it never really dogs us but air conditioner coop and the summertime I could almost, you know, if I saw somebody that says, hey, I just got a window unit, and I kind of uh, uh, installed it in my coop, hooked it up to power so they've got some cool air in, in, in the coop, and I, I could probably even just read that, glance on by, and say, yeah, I could probably justify that. You know, heat he is well, far more detrimental versus the heater in the coop and, and, and the fire risk for, that we see every year for those and things like that. So it's very interesting how human nature uh runs with that you know, y'all see it too when you're on the blogs and forums uh, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody say something like it's going to get hot this summer where I live do I need to put an air conditioner in the coop <laughs> so anyway so but but it is very detrimental to the chickens as many ways we talk about doing this in the past um, uh, providing fresh cool water um, for your chickens during the day and if you work nine to five that sometimes may be hard to do Uh, So we talk about tricks of the trade, like if you have the three or five-gallon watering font, you know, freezing those 20-ounce bottles of water and then dropping two or three in there, uh, keeping that water cool um, for them. Once that water gets warm, they'll drink less of it, and then once that water approaches their body temperature, they may not drink any of it, and we don't want that. We want them to stay hydrated and drink that water during the day. We also know in the summer that they will drink more and eat, eat less, so... We've often talked on the show with experts, okay, if they're eating more uh, or drinking more and eating less in the summer, uh, eating less are they not getting the nutrients they need for uh, proper egg production and, and just good good overall health for the birds because they're eating less and that's where they're getting the bulk of their nutrition and, and what they need for a healthy life. Uh, so do we need to add maybe some supplements in the water during the summertime? Because again, we know they're not eating as much, but they're drinking more. Maybe they need to get more nutrients from the water by doing some additives. So all this kind of should be in your thinking process if you have uh, backyard chickens. And if not, well, then we'll hear a lot uh, in just a minute from uh, Dr. Potoski about that. In fact, let's go ahead and bring him on now. And uh, we'll get on with the uh, educational part of this radio show for
1: those of you who are just
0: tuning in. Um, Dr. Potoski, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Great. Thanks, Andy. It's good to be here again.
0: Great, absolutely. So uh, timely topic, heat stress and chickens, and um, I'm going to turn it over to you. Hopefully our Chicken Whisperer listeners uh, have that pen and paper out to take some, some notes on this, and maybe they can implement some suggestions you have and um, maybe just kind of enter their thought process. Because like I said earlier, it's, it just always seems, oh, it's wintertime, heat in a coop. But summertime, they—you'd never hardly, I don't think I've ever seen anybody say, oh, "I got to put an air conditioner coop. It's going to get hot this summer." <laughs> and then when you when you question that, like I said earlier in that story, they they act they they look at you like you're being a uh, you know a sarcasm or a smart aleck when um, I'm you know kind of like I could probably even justify that even more than 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 a heater. So it's interesting. But I'll turn it over to you, and then you can uh, teach us all that we really need to know or think we need to know about uh, heat stress.
1: Great. Well, thanks again, Andy. I'm I'm gonna mm-hmm. um I'll give you credit, but I'm gonna have to steal that line there about the air conditioner being probably a smarter <laughs> thing to put in in the coop than the heater, because um, I come from you know we I'm in California and um, in Davis it gets really really hot. I never hear anyone say. We're, we we spend you know our, a good chunk of our summers inside because of the heat, and I, during the winter time is when all the the heaters start coming out for their chickens. But I've never heard, <laughs> I've never seen anyone say you know what maybe I should get an air conditioner for my for my chickens. So I know. Oh, I'm so gonna funny. I'm gonna steal that. I think that's a great that's a great <laughs> idea. If you were gonna do one or the other, the air conditioner would definitely be um, the one. And I actually get way more stressed with our with with birds that we raise on campus with the heat than I do with the cold. Um, because it really can Mm -hmm. be dangerous. Mm -hmm. The only thing I would add to that is that everyone focuses Mm -hmm. so much on heat. The other thing that people should really be thinking about is humidity, and we'll we'll talk about that Mm -hmm. in a little. But I think uh, we focus so much on on the heat issue, and when you look at the physiology of the birds and how they cool themselves, um, humidity is a really important thing to understand, too, and should be kind of integrated into um, your Mm kind of decision-making process of what you're going to be doing. So just to go over like a little basic kind of physiology. Um, so mammals, which is what we are obviously, and birds are, are warm blooded. And uh, I know we all know this, but just to start at like just a really basic level, that means they, they all make their own body heat. Um, so when it's cold outside, they warm themselves up. When it's hot outside, they still stay the same temperature hopefully. Um, and it can be dangerous obviously, if uh, it's too hot or too cold um but um it's really important to realize that um you know birds just like us uh we maintain a body temperature and take a lot of energy to do that so if we can keep the birds at kind of an ideal temperature and for adult layer birds uh we're typically talking about you know temperature range of about 68 to 75 degrees fahrenheit so we can keep our house as close to that temperature Um, The better it is for the birds, the more productive they'll be, the healthier they'll be, the better their behavior will be, the less likely they are to get sick. Um, The same goes for humidity, so the amount of moisture in the air. We want to keep the humidity in the 50 to 70% range. And just like a lot of us, and and, and maybe not all of us, have thermometers in our coops, we also need uh, a hygrometer, something that will measure the humidity. It's really important to think about. And I would suggest, um, depending on what kind of coop you have, you probably might want even more than one temperature. So, uh, excuse me, more than one thermometer. You know, the idea that you have a continuous, um, um, the same temperature in your entire coop is probably unrealistic. You want to put the thermometer in an area where the bird what, that represents the temperature that the birds are exposed to. Uh, Humidity is a little more homogeneous, so it's 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 the same um, in the house for the most part, and the same in the in the in the coop. Um, but the temperature, especially, I see a lot of people put thermometers in a spot that is really easy to visualize, so they don't have to bend down, for example, or they stick it in a corner somewhere behind something um, where you're not getting like the normal airflow, and that's giving you kind of a false uh, reading, potentially too high um, during the summer, especially. So, make sure you put your thermometer, um, and potentially multiple thermometers, depending on how many birds you have, um, at an area that really represents what, what the birds are going through. And the hygrometer, which we'll talk about in a little, um, which measures humidity, they're not too expensive. Um, you know, in, in commercial poultry, there's a lot of other gases they can measure, um, but the basics that you really want to be able to measure is temperature, and then in addition to that, it's really important to, um, to, 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 to consider humidity. Um, So as I mentioned, a a chicken's normal body temperature is between 104 and 107 degrees Fahrenheit, but we want the conditions in the house to be between that 68 and 75. Um, As the temperature gets too low, there's an efficiency issue. So for every degree Celsius you go down, the birds are going to need much more feed in order for those birds to maintain their body temperature. Uh, more feed then means they're not being as productive. Uh, the feed conversion ratio will go up, for example, so the amount of feed to get eggs or meat is not going to be as efficient. Um, and also, I think from just a backyard poultry perspective, it's really important to realize when you're out of those temperature ranges, it's not the end of the world. Um, it just means that those birds are going to be less efficient, but uh, from the backyard poultry perspective, those, those, you have more potential for welfare and disease issues. And as we've talked about a, a lot of times, you know, we really want to – mitigate disease, um, diseases before they hit. So birds, for example, there's all kinds of E. coli's that are probably floating around in them, some salmonellas, some Campylobacter. Those are relatively ubiquitous in poultry. Um, and what I would say is that the bird's normal immune system can kind of cover those up. So where the birds are not showing any clinical signs of disease. Once you start stressing them out, that's when you start um, running into problems with disease. So you might have a 15, 20 week old bird or a 30 week old bird, and nothing changes at all. And then all of a sudden, um, some birds die. You take them to the diagnostic lab, and the diagnostic lab says, "Well, you know, they had E. coli, which is a, a which could be a coli infection." And you're like, "Well, well, what did they die from?" Well, it could be related because they had, they were, they were stressed. The stress suppresses their immune system, and then that E. coli proliferates in a way that um, didn't happen before. So. Going back to the, to the poultry and their kind of physiology, um, so chickens don't sweat, so they don't have sweat glands. Mm-hmm. They depend on panting to cool themselves. Um, so the panting encourages evaporation of air to cool um, themselves. And it's really important to realize if you have increased humidity, um, it's much more difficult to evaporate uh, liquid water. So it's really important when we talk about this humidity, this hygrometer measurement that you want to be able to, 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 to measure, that you have that humidity between 50 and 70%. If the humidity is too low, if you get below 50%, it gets really, really dry in a house, you have the potential to create um, a really dusty conditions. And that can be bad not only for your lungs, but your chicken's lungs also, so that's not ideal. And as the humidity gets too high in a house, again, it becomes really challenging for a bird to cool themselves Um, using the the panting uh, physiological uh, approach that they'll typically use. Um, And it also creates problems where typically if you have high humidity in a house, that also means you have high CO2 in the house, and that also means you have high ammonia in the house. Now, a lot of people that have backyard chickens have pretty good ventilation because they basically have uh, a fence. Um, But some people don't. Some people have uh, coops that are totally enclosed, and there's no right or wrong answer on which one is right. Right. Um, but if you, if you do have environmental conditions which lend themselves to high temperatures and let's say high humidity, um, you run into the issue of then if you have high humidity of also having high ammonia, and high ammonia is bad for our lungs. It's bad for the birds. The birds can actually get corneal ulcers and go blind from high ammonia levels, um, mm-hmm. and it can also cause excessive moisture in the litter and uh, if there's one thing that we really need to be conscious of, it's that the litter that, that the birds are being raised on, that substrate material, has a lot of different bacteria and protozoa, like coccidia, for example, in there. As you increase the moisture, you change the environmental conditions there, and that can cause proliferation of all kinds of unwanted bacteria and protozoa. Um, So you want some bacteria in there. It's actually really good. It challenges their immune system, but you just don't want a huge load of them. Um, And that perfect example of that's coccidia. Having low levels of coccidia in poultry litter is actually a pretty good thing. It just challenges their immune system. But if you create conditions where those coccidia can really persist for a long time and really build up, that's when you start running into a lot of problems, especially in younger birds. So um, the temperature... um, in a house, again, it is not uniform. So I really stress to people to have more than one thermometer if they think it's appropriate. If we're talking about one little room that's 10 by 10 or you know 5 by 5, it's probably a better example, um, then that, that single thermometer is probably fine. But it's really important to put that thermometer at a much more representative height um, and um, to put it in an area where it's not behind something. I always see people, for whatever reason, they kind of try to hide the thermometer or they put the thermometer in kind of almost like a display case Um, that's relatively high, and obviously hot air rises, so your thermometer is not always really reflecting the temperature of the birds. Also, I would spend a little extra money and get a minimum-maximum thermometer, so that the thermometers that basically tell you um, within a 24-hour period or one-week period, um, depending on the thermometer and how you set it, what the minimum and maximum temperature is every 24 hours, that's really important to follow. And you know, I'm really, as a veterinarian, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm also an epidemiologist, and it's really important to start capturing data. So when people, you know, call me and they say, "Well, we're having egg production issues, or we're having these disease issues," when you start kind of asking them questions related, okay, you know, what, what's what, what's your normal egg production, and now where are you? They don't always have an answer; they just have a gut feeling, and their gut feeling is probably accurate. But it's really hard to address the problem if we really don't have some numbers behind that. So same thing with temperature. This time of year when people call me with problems, I'll start, um, you know, querying them about about temperature and humidity. And and typically people just don't have that information. They have kind of a a gut feeling for where things are. But capturing that information is a really important thing to do. And having that minimum-maximum thermometer value is, is really useful to kind of capture um, in addition to the, um, the hygrometer measurements. And again, hygrometers are the ones, those are the widgets that measure um, our humidity, which we want between 50 and 70%. And we wanna be able to capture that type of data um, because again, it's so important, um, not only for our bird's health, but to try to address you know, what, the, what the root problems of their, of their diseases might be. So whenever I get you know, a phone call from someone saying, well, we sent, our, our bird died, we sent it into the diagnostic lab, and this was the problem you know, then we can really start, we need to really start thinking about how do we prevent this in the rest of the flock? Um, and, and understanding those environmental conditions is really, really essential. Um, so a couple things, before we, we talk a little more about temperature, I really wanted to go over some of the clinical signs that people can see um, when their birds are heat stressed. Um, it has been an extremely hot summer in, in Davis and in California. And uh, we've had challenges with our birds, how to keep them cool. And it's taken some experimentation, really, for us to figure out in the, in the barn that we're using how to get the best ventilation, um, how to reduce uh, the humidity, because these misters that a lot of people like, including myself, can actually be very dangerous if you do not use them correctly. So um, in short, and we'll go over this a little later, if you have high humidity, you do not want to turn on a mister because the mister is going to increase the humidity as that water evaporates. And again, if you have high humidity, you have the issues with the ammonia potentially and the litter quality, but the birds, when they pant in high humid conditions, aren't able to cool themselves effectively. So it's really important to not only measure the humidity, but when you turn a mister on or any type of evaporative cooling device, um, which is basically just using the heat from the air to vaporize water, which will result in decreased temperature, which is good, but also increased humidity, it's really important to make sure that we're not exacerbating the problem. I've seen it with commercial producers, and I'm sure it happens with backyard producers, um, probably not as often in backyard producers because they use kind of chain link fences and things like that. But if you've got that mm-hmm. um, you know, nice coop that's got wood or it's, 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 it's enclosed, you run this risk of if you do turn on your cooling devices, um, your evaporative cooling devices, your misters in a high humid condition, that's when you can really push these birds over the edge and have a high mortality event um, because they can't, remember they don't have sweat glands, so they can't cool themselves that way. The only way they can cool themselves is by panting, and if they're not able to cool themselves in, in, in effectively by panting in a high humid environment, um, then that's it. They can't. There's no other option. So when we think about, you know, what are the things that we see when birds are uncomfortable and hot, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of us have already kind of seen these, but the birds will be lethargic, just like you and I, when it when it's over 100 degrees, for example. Um, they'll have actually increased cannibalism, um, so that's something to watch out for. There's all kinds of reasons birds can be cannibalistic. Um, it could be a nutritional deficiency, it could be a density issue, but it can also be a temperature-related issue. Um, you'll see their wings are spreading. Um, and that's their way of trying to kind of cool themselves um, as, as their wings spread. You'll see them their, their respiration rate will be increased. So you'll see respiratory rates um, that are so rapid that it's really difficult to actually measure them. Um, but if you look at the literature, they talk about respiratory rates above 250 per minute as um, you know kind of signs that, um, that the evaporative cooling is not working effectively and they're really um, stressed based upon, Um, what they're being challenged with. Um, Overall, they'll start becoming lighter in body weight. You'll have lower uniformity. So uniformity is just a fancy word for saying, um, are the birds all roughly the same size? Now, in backyard flocks, where most of, if not all backyard flocks have birds of different ages, uniformity is a hard thing to kind of measure or visualize. Um, But those birds will show... Um, you know, they won't eat as much, and birds that don't eat as much won't produce eggs. Um, they also won't drink as much. Um, so sometimes when they get so lethargic, um, if there's not cool water near them, um, if, if, if the water is also kind of that humid, warm water that's got litter in it, like, it, like what happens, I mean, every single day we, we clean waters out and they still get dirty, um, it, you, the, the birds are really then in a, in a, in a dangerous um, um, situation. And you'll also see, you know, as you can imagine, if they're not eating and drinking as much, birds that don't drink won't eat. Birds that won't eat won't produce the same quality and size of eggs. Um, so as you start capturing that data, you, you might notice, hey, we're getting, you know, five, 10% uh, lower egg production than we used to. And if you're really kind of nerdy and you start measuring the size of the eggs, um, you would start noticing that the size of the eggs are, are, are smaller. And if you're super nerdy and you start looking at some of the egg quality characteristics like cracks and checks and things like that, um, those will also contribute, those will also be um, increased in the situation. And um, you know, if you get even beyond that, and you start looking at how units and the, um, the quality of the, um, the egg proteins, um, it just will, th- th- there, is a, um, there is an issue there. Um, you'll start also seeing wet droppings in their feces, so paying attention to that is really important. Uh, increased mortality, obviously. You know, we're dealing with relatively smaller flocks here, that most, m- which is m- most backyarders have, but you can get mortality from heat, um, and, some, and I don't know a lot about this, but there are some breeds of, of chickens which are more heat-tolerant than others, Um, And I think that's a really interesting area of research um, that some people are looking at, especially a lot of the village poultry in Africa that uh, some researchers are looking at. Um, Some of these village poultry have interesting, like the fayumi that we've mentioned here a little before, have interesting characteristics when it comes to disease resistance to coccidiosis, for example. Um, But they also have some interesting characteristics uh, with respect to uh, heat tolerance. Um, which could become very p- important um, as, as, as we move forward in uh, as environmental conditions change. Um, we also have um, birds, as we've mentioned, their immunity is not as effective when it when they're hot. Um, their appetites depressed. Their fertility is lower. So you can imagine all these kind of signs that you may or may not see, depending on what type of flocks you have. If, so if you're you know speaking of fertility, if for example you have a, a breeder flock. Um, those breeder flocks will, will be uh, have less uh, the, the quality of their semen will be less. Uh, you'll have more female um, infertility. Um, even when they do eat, um, and this goes to your point about you know mineral supplements and vitamin supplements, for mm-hmm. example, um, even when they do eat, um, their absorption of those minerals is reduced also. So there's a lot of challenges that, that you go through, um, and, and I think, you know, the big question is, okay, I can't change the temperature outside. Most of us obviously can't air condition our coops, um, which I thought was a very clever uh, comment by you, obviously. Um, but um, we, can, um, we can mitigate, you know, their, the, the environmental conditions. And now that we kind of sort of know what some of the clinical signs are, um, and the measurements that we should be taking as far as humidity and measuring humidity uh, daily and measuring uh, temperature daily um, and understanding minimum and maximums and things like that. You know, The question is, okay, what can we do? Um, so water, so this is you know, the real simple basic stuff, and I know we all like to talk about more of the fancy things, but having cool, clean water at all times um, is so important and making sure there's enough available space for all the birds to drink water at the same time is also really important. So normally you want to have about six inches. You know, we, we talk about this with feeders. You never want you, when you, when you, when you design your coop, you always want to think, okay, I want to make sure that every bird has the opportunity to eat at the same time, if they all decide to eat, because if they don't, then we're going to have some pecking order issues, maybe some cannibalism issues, some uniformity issues. So the reality is we need to do the same thing with water, especially on high-temperature days. Um, so it's, and, and you can put ice in the water to cool it off. So when we have really hot temperatures, for example, especially when that temperature really get high uh, around 5 o'clock uh, in California, when it really kind of peaks, um, we'll put ice um, in, our, um, in our drinkers, Um, in the bell drinkers inside kind of the main canister of water and that just cools the water down just enough you don't want freezing water um... because that obviously wouldn't be comfortable either either but you want cool clean water That's really really um... important Mm -hmm. um... so the other thing is you know just like you and i birds don't typically eat when it's really really hot so um... I advocate you know, giving birds feed continuously, but if people do not feed them continuously, make sure that you're offering them food at the coolest part of the day. So if you do give them scraps, which I don't advocate, but if you do give them scraps for a minimal part of their, um, their nutrition um, and you want them to actually eat those scraps, or if you're just feeding them for whatever reason non-continuously, make sure they're, they have access to food. Um, when it's cool. No one wants to eat when it's over 100 degrees outside, obviously, or we don't want to eat as much. And as you alluded to uh, very well, I thought it was a, a, good, a very good point to make. These birds are not going to eat as much. If they're not going to eat as much, um, they're probably not getting their, you know, the 115 to 120 grams of feed they need to, that, that's calculated that they're supposed to get in order for them to produce an egg. Um, so then you can start running into a lot of physiological problems. The, the, the birds, the way that their metabolism works is all the calcium is really sent to the egg and whatever's left is used for whatever the body needs calcium for, including um, keeping bones nice and strong. So if, you have, if you're getting less feed, um, the shells would be the last thing that you would notice as far as calcium deficiencies. The first thing you would start noticing is potentially broken bones and things like that because uh, their bones are not developing correctly. Um, or they're just not laying enough calcium in those bones um, to keep those bones strong. And backyard birds, free-range and pastured birds are in a slightly, for lack of a better phrase, harsher condition because they're out and about and walking around and running around and flying um, as opposed to caged birds where if you had some calcium deficiencies, um, it wouldn't be potentially as bad because those birds are in a, in a much more controlled environment. Um, the other thing is it's really important to keep chickens in a well-ventilated area with adequate airflow. So when we deal with chicks, I always tell people never put fans directly on birds because they can get really stressed in that environment. As the birds get older, they become a little more tolerant to that type of situation. Um, that being said, you know, having fans and coops is really important, and you don't even have to direct the, the airflow on the bird. You want to move the stale air above the birds out. So um, if you have some kind of coop situation, um, you want to create, a, 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 have a coop that has adequate ventilation. Um, so in the commercial poultry industry, we have uh, curtain-sided um, windows, um, and it's kind of what it actually means. It's, it's basically um, you've got, let's say, if you have a 10-foot height on a house, um, let's say the first um, foot or so is just uh, wood, and then the remaining nine feet are uh, some type of chicken wire, and then you have a tarp on the outside, and those tarps in really high temperatures uh, can go up um, to allow air, uh, airflow um, to to uh, transverse um, the the house. So it's really important in your backyard coop um, to have uh, air ventilation. So you don't want everything kind of closed off. You want to make sure that there's airflow, and not just you're not just blowing air inside that little coop. That you're blowing air. And that's moving, hopefully, in some kind of laminar flow, in some kind of continuous flow. Um, so you're pushing the hot air out because hot air obviously rises. And if you're uh, just kind of blowing it within that, um, the rafters, it's not really as effective as if you have uh, somewhere where that hot air is going in kind of a laminar flow. Um, other things to think about. Um, so that, that airflow is really important. But if you have young birds, Um, I would highly uh, recommend not blowing the air directly on the birds, but just right above the birds. In high-temperature situations, you can have a little more airflow on the birds, especially as those birds get a little older, um, and fans are really good for that. Um, So a couple other recommendations. Um, You should consider some type of evaporative cooling. So I didn't mean to scare anyone earlier when I talked about um, misters and evaporative cooling devices. Those can actually be really useful, but what I would suggest is, um, in general, as the temperature rises. So, so you know, if you think about a hundred degree day in California, we have very, very low humidity at that point. Um, but even in California, in the morning. Um, we do have more humidity in the morning it's cooler cool air in the morning doesn't hold as much water so now we have a lot of water that's in the environment uh, liquid water so the humidity is increased at that point so if you are going to use misters and things like that make sure um, that you're understanding what the humidity is in your house and if you have um, good airflow, that's a great way to um, kind of help reduce the humidity inside a house because the humidity inside a house can actually be much different than the environment outside if you don't have good airflow. So use those misters. Misters are a great way to cool birds down, but only do it uh, when the humidity is low. If you do it when it's high, then the birds cannot adequately cool themselves and you, you run into a... Um, um, while you might be cooling down the temperature, uh, the humidity is so high that the birds, unless, the, unless it's at the birds the, the birds can't cool themselves adequately. Um, also avoid overcrowding chickens. So uh, I think for most backyard producers, that's not really an issue. Um, but sometimes people have more birds um, than they have space for those birds. So you at least want for backyard birds at least want two square feet per bird. And in high temperature environments, Um, sometimes it's worth it to have, um, you know, to to, to push that to three or four square feet per bird. A lot of it just depends on the coop that you have, how it's ventilated, how it's insulated, what the humidity is. But one thing to consider is um, as the temperature increases, um, that type of overcrowding, that the threshold for overcrowding changes. And a lot of it depends on what kind of coop you have and uh, the environmental conditions outside, so I guess my, my point is don't you shouldn't be locked in to say, oh, well, these are two square feet per bird. You know I'm doing exactly what Dr. Paterson <laughs> told me. Uh, the reality is, like everything, it becomes a little more complicated. So if you're noticing all the signs of, of, of um, heat stress in your poultry, you know, there's panting and wing spreading, and they're lethargic, and, and you're getting increased cannibalism, all these signs that we just talked about, and you're, so when you're saying, well, my birds are two square feet uh, per bird – you know, aside from the cool water issues and the ventilation issues, you know, one thing you would want to consider is, well, okay, maybe I need some more space for these birds in this type of condition, in these type of um, extreme heat conditions. Um, Other things to think about are, um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of removing um, litter uh, because usually birds are pretty good at managing the litter if you have enough of it there. If the, if the birds are at the proper density, they can kind of rototill it and compost it themselves. So, um, but uh, one thing to be aware of: if they are heat stressed and you're getting some of these, you're getting more wet feces, for example. Uh, the humidity is high. Um, removing um, uh, feces can help avoid some of the decomposition and the composting that's going on. Um, of all the microbes that are in the fecal material and in the litter, and that composting process produces a lot of heat. Um, so, um, if you did remove um, some litter from the house and put lay down some fresh litter in really high heat temperature in really high heat um, situations, I, I would not be opposed to that. Under normal circumstances, I really like using the same litter and keeping that litter there. The idea of removing litter and putting down new litter during um, a flock's lifetime, I don't like as much because now you run the risk of introducing new uh, microbes. You've, you've kind of created a, a vacuum where that litter is now relatively sterile. So now let's say there was an E. coli infection or something or some rodent came in and, and, and started shedding salmonella. Now that that salmonella has got a lot more room to proliferate, as opposed to uh, litter material, which has a lot of bacteria in it, but they're um, they're relatively symbiotic or or um, or innate as far as they're uh, not innate, but they're not causing any disease issues. So in general, I don't like to remove litter and, and lay down new litter, but when it's a high temperature situation, that's another thing to consider. Um, and then just a couple other things, um, you know, the ventilation thing we talked about, it's really important um, to consider, you know, that, that you want pretty much half of your structure to allow airflow at the minimum, so don't build your coop, you know, with walls all the way around it, unless they're really well insulated, and, and that obviously takes some time and money. Alternatively, um, you can just have a lot of wire fencing, which is what most people do, but some people, I know they like to build these, you know, beautiful um, kind of, Uh, Norman Rockwell-esque kind of coops, and it's important to to consider the practical aspect of that, especially depending on your climate. Um, And then the other thing that that I was reading about that I hadn't really considered is, you know, outside your chicken house, the the grass that's around there and the weeds that are around there, um, you don't want things that go too high, um, because if they go too high, then you're not getting any airflow as those birds are moving around during the day. You don't want them to be too low um, because if they're too low, um, they have the potential to kind of reflect heat back on the bird. So I'd say a low, you know, couple inches of grass um, is really important to to have there. Again, you don't also want it to be too high because you don't want to encourage any kind of predatory uh, habitat or uh, any other kind of wildlife habitat. Mice and rodents uh, and rats, for example, uh, rats. Their nesting um, locations are, can be up to hundred feet from where they are, um, uh, from where their kind of their their normal exploratory ranges. Mice are about thirty feet, so it's really important, you know, when you measure your the distance of your coop to arborage, for example. That um, you make sure that things are relatively well kept within that hundred and foot hundred foot barrier. Obviously, in an urban environment, that's really hard because you're a lot of times in your neighbor's yard by that time, and you can't obviously um, deal with any of their problems. But um, you do the best you can with uh, with what the situation that you have. Cool. Uh, yeah. Any questions or? Before Not I right
0: know. now. No, this is great because um, I'm going to go commercial break here for a second, and then we can continue. But this has been wonderful because it's just—it's I mean, direct, it's it's um, um, concise, and it's awesome. Great for taking notes, just jotting all this all this down, and all the things that we can do, and things to look out for. Uh, the humidity and the misting I th- thought was fabulous because again you'll see a lot of that uh, oh well we just use a mist system but they don't take in consideration of anything uh, regarding the humidity and how that might be yeah you talked about that uh, in detail which was fabulous because that's something I don't think we've ever mentioned um, or had anybody mention on, on the show before so that's that was awesome information for those that maybe use that or, or new keepers who are um, thinking about using the misting systems maybe out in the run or in the coop I like the fact You said air directly on the birds in most cases is not, um, um, I guess, good for them, healthy for them. I've shared that for for years. Um, You know, air movement, air exchange, but just to have a fan at the end of the roost just blowing on them all night long, even in the summer, Um, is just not conducive to uh, a healthy healthy flock. I agree with that, and and I'm glad I've been sharing the right information, and you shared it again today. So, uh, Doc, I'm going to go to a quick commercial break, and then we return. We can continue. Today, folks, if you're just tuning in or uh, tuned in recently, we're talking with Dr. Poteski, and he's teaching us all about heat stress and chickens, things we can do to try to prevent this, uh, keep our chickens comfortable. Notice I didn't say keep them cool, but keep them comfortable during the uh, summertime. Uh, different tricks of the trade and other things we can do, and things we might have seen that we can do but maybe shouldn't or do it a different way. So, uh, always glad to have the experts on the show, and uh, we'll be right back with more from Dr. Pateski here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. When you need an incubator, think Frenzy, the incubation specialist's. Frenzi has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brensea.com. That's B R I N S E A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third generation, family owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, Come back. Come back. Come. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended—pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H Feeds.com, or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach Feeds. Also, want to tell you about, and we are talking about coops and coop care in the summertime and things like that, but want to talk to you about a product called Sweet T D Z Coop Refresher, and um, I've told you many a times uh, on the show that um, we use it. We've used it for, God, the first time we used this product was probably in 2009, maybe 2010, and the results were uh, astonishing. In fact, you've heard me say before that um, it just it uh, was one of those things where my wife came in uh, unannounced and said, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, she went out to clean one of the coops we had and, and where we were using the product. Just, you know, to get To get a comparison, I want to make sure, uh, you know, that we were (laughs) having a good comparison there. And she came back in. I was working in the office, and I won't forget. She came in. That stuff really works. We had a coop that was about three by four. We kept some Saramas and uh, Silkies in there, not many. It was two levels, a very unique coop. It was actually a chicken tractor. And uh, she was using uh, really a coffee cup, uh, even a smaller than a regular like ceramic cup, a small styrofoam coffee cup like you would get at the break room, if you will. And just sprinkling that in, in the bedding and by the time she went back to clean the coop on our regular schedule, uh, she was astounded by the difference in the times before, the many times <laughs> before, when she goes out to clean that. So without a doubt, we know firsthand it really works. It's all natural. When you're done, you can add it to the compost bin or your garden with, say, the uh, the bedding if you want to, especially in the compost bin. Um, and uh, it's derived from from the earth anyway but it's really an awesome product. We've used it. We've had, you know, again, first-hand experience years and years and years ago. Now, uh, you, you may know it as the Sweet PDZ Horse Stall Refresher, especially if you have uh, horses. You may be familiar with their product and already use it for your horse stalls. Repackaged, a smaller bag for and designed for the backyard flock keeper. And um, So check it out next time you're in the store. If you don't see it in the store, ask for it. Sweet PDZ Coop Refresher, and you can visit their website as well to do that. Hey, we use it; it's awesome, and we saw firsthand it was was, the story. I love it because it was so uh, unplanned. The wife, who's literally unprovoked, comes in and says, "This stuff really works. This is crazy," and uh, so it works really good. So uh, I encourage you to check them, check them out. Already, back to our show, we've got Dr. Poteski, and he's teaching and talking all about uh, heat stress in chickens, and already you've probably written down a boatload of information. I did post over on our Facebook page, no takers yet. I don't know if they're a little shy or think they're going to get picked on or, or just um, or think it's a trap. I'm not sure, but I did uh, at the beginning of the show put up a poll On the Chicken Whisperer Facebook page, I put, for those of you that choose to heat your chicken coops in the winter, do you also add an air conditioner in your coop in the summer? If not, why? And then I put on there, I said, we're talking about this live on the radio show right now, and your input may be shared on air. Thank you for your participation. And uh, so far nobody's brave enough to uh to respond to that not going to pick on you we just want to know if you do choose for in, in in your mind choose to put a heater in your coop how you justify that in the winter but uh but why you may justify not or haven't thought about putting an air conditioner in the coop for the uh summer so um, i'll leave it up for a little bit longer after the show to see if we get any takers on that any brave uh souls out there that uh want to uh, to answer I'm not going to pick on you we're just going to use it for uh, today's show so we'll go back and bring back on our friend Dr. Uh, Pateski and I will let you continue educating us about um, heat stress
1: great thanks Andy um, sure so just a couple a few more things um, I think we covered a lot in the last segment but uh, just as a reminder so if you're going to remember just a few numbers remember that 68 to 75 Fahrenheit that's what we're shooting for Um, as far as our temperature, um, and then with respect to, uh, humidity, we're, we're shooting again for 50 to 70%. And then, um, I think the only thing we need to be cautious of, and I see a lot of people using misters and that's totally fine, is just in general, um, only use the misters when it's hot and dry, not when it's hot and wet. So if you don't have a hygrometer, Mm -hmm. if you don't want to measure humidity, you can kind of feel when it's humid. Um, obviously, in the southeast of the us at this time of year it's it's very humid, so <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> so it's uh, in those conditions, probably not ideal to use um, to use misters or some type of evaporative cooling device, and that's where fans are really going to kind of kind of step in and remember when you have high humidity, especially in a house where you're trapping the air, um, you have the, you run the risk of having high carbon dioxide and high ammonia. so in general, there's always exceptions. Uh, but in general, when you have high humidity, you also have high CO2 in a house and you also have, um, high ammonia in a house. So those are kind of a dangerous combination of, of, of things to consider. Now, when you do use misters, um, it's really important that you can get your litter really, really wet in that environment. Um, and that can cause also, um, kind of a more heat to be generated. Um, it can cause, um, Unideal ideal conditions with respect to ammonia generation too. Um, so you need to be really careful with how long you leave those misters on, the droplet size of the misters, because if you're just creating lots of water and it's those, those droplets are heavy or large and they're just falling on the ground, you're not really uh, accomplishing what you're trying to accomplish, which is cooling the birds. The other thing to realize is that um, you know, that evaporative cooling, you're trying to cool the air um, sometimes birds will actually go in there um, and get cooled off. Uh, a lot of times they will not. Um, so if your goal is to actually, in, in, in extreme heat conditions, um, especially with backyard birds, you can take the birds and you can actually give them a bath. Um, and you can uh, kind of set up you know, an old litter box or something like that and put some cool water in there, not freezing water in there. Um, sometimes you can allow the birds to do it themselves. Um, but the, in a, in a, in a high, you know, kind of in an environment where you're really a little worried about those birds, they're panning really heavily. Um, they don't look too healthy. Um, you're seeing a lot of the, the wings of the, a lot of the clinical signs we talked about earlier. Um, you can take the birds and you can gently place them in a wa- in a cool water bath. And that's actually pretty effective. There's a decent amount of literature, um, that looks at the concept of wetting birds, um, and, and using that as a method of evaporative cooling um, and environmental cooling uh, in broilers and layers, and that seems to be pretty effective um, at um, at decreasing body temperature. Um, the reason it's not used in the commercial world is that it just it would just be first of all in the commercial world there's there's pretty good uh, ventilation systems uh, using evaporative cooling, laminar airflow. Um, those type of things are pretty well controlled. Um, That that kind of environment is a really important part of poultry husbandry. In backyard birds, um, because that's not such a focus and there's so few birds, you can pick up the birds and put them in kind of a cool water bath if the misters, for example, aren't working. Or let's say you have a high humid environment and you don't want to turn misters on. That's when um, cooling the birds off in kind of a water bath, placing them individually in there or letting them explore that option to see if it's something they like is something to really consider um, and could be, I think, ideal, especially in those high humid environments. Uh, if you just put the bird, get them cool or get them get, uh, get their surface uh, wetted like that instead of um, um, using the evaporative cooling of the air, which, again, in, in a high humid environment is not going to be ideal. So that's something to really consider. It doesn't get used in the, in the commercial world because it would just be so labor-intensive. Um, the thing you want to be really, really cautious about, though, is some birds are going to be a little more amenable to being touched than other birds. And I think, you know, all the people that are listening understand that that risk, um, that some birds are, are pretty uh, comfortable around us. Um, but if we have little kids that are running around, and those kids are, are running and uh, trying to grab the birds, you know, you run the risk of piling, um, where the birds are all in one corner, um, and they can um, really cause some injuries and even mortality, uh, especially in a high humid, high heat environment. Um, so, you want to be really careful when you do that. Um, but I, I would consider it as a way to um, address uh, heat. And we've used it on, on our poultry at UC Davis in high heat environments. And uh, it's worked actually pretty well. Um, seems to be relatively effective, especially when the misters are uh, the droplet size on the mister can't be optimized or you have that high humid environment. So um, I think that's something that's really important to consider, um, along with all the other things we talked about. You know, the lowest hanging fruit is really going to be the uh, ventilation, and the other lowest hanging fruit is going to be cool water, uh, cleaning those waters out um, even more religiously in that kind of environment, especially because warm water, um, you know, bacteria typically like growing under warmer conditions. So if you have some litter that's in the water that's in your bell drinker or whatever it be, and the conditions... Um, the water's warmer and warmer and warmer, you're going to get more proliferation of bacteria. So during the wintertime, when you might clean the waters out maybe once a week, once every other week, whatever it be, in the summertime, you might have to uh, make an increased effort to keep those waters not only cool but also clean. Um, So those are important things to think about also. Mm -hmm. I don't have too much else yeah, I don't have too much else other than that. Is there anything that I feel that you feel like I'm not uh I haven't covered adequately or
0: I don't think so. You're you're the doc, not me and uh <laughs> we get all this great information uh with you coming on the show. So um I think you've covered everything. I think you opened some eyes and made us which I love when when you and other scientists come on it's like uh, you may kind of make us go hmm, never really thought about that, and of course, I've try to take this information and and share it with others as much as possible when I'm on tour on the Facebook or even in the magazine and things like that. So I think you did a fabulous job and made it easy for us to understand, easy to take notes on, and gave us ideas to easy things to implement or choose to implement in in our coops in our backyard. so I think you did a fabulous job it was a great show and um and I appreciate you coming on uh, as always and uh if you didn't know Dr. Peteski comes on the um Second, I believe, Tuesday of every single – it's Thursday, second Thursday of every single month. And you can go back and listen to all of the shows. They're all archived and all the topics that he shares. He's also a contributor to uh, Chicken Whisperer Magazine, the uh, fall issue. We're going to be starting to work on that this week, actually, and um, and try to get that rolled out in September for everybody. So, Dr. Pateski, thank you very much for joining us today, as always. And wonderful show, great information. We thank you for uh, sharing it with us and our listeners.
1: Great. Thanks again, Andy. It's good being, good, good
0: being again. You too. Great. Thank you so much. And uh got to love it when Maurice is on. And uh, last week we had um, Dr. McRae on, and she comes on twice a month. We love when she's on as well. And we hope you'll continue to listen to all the great programming we have to offer. Again, kind of the uh, chicken whisperer brand we like for that. When you think about it, science-based, fact-based, study-based information for you to raise a healthy flock of chickens in your backyard. So whether it's the book, and of course my first, first book that is out has been uh, revised. It is out, well, there's added information in that book. You can buy, still buy it on Amazon, Lowe's, um, Home Depot, Tractor Supply, Barnes and & Noble, and of course I said Amazon, uh, the new and revised edition. And then of course in December, my second book will be coming out, which is largely written by scientists, nutritionists um, and veterinarians uh, about statements that are made on blogs and forums that just aren't quite what they're cracked up to be, if you will, fact or chicken poop. That should be coming out, we hope in December. We can pre-order that actually on Amazon right now. Just look for chicken fact or chicken poop there on Amazon. You can pre-order that book. If the price comes down, you'll get it at the reduced price between now and Christmas. Uh, So that's something to actually think about. Um, the first book was co written by poultry scientist Dr. McCray. And um, the second book has, of course, Dr. Pateski uh, has uh, contributed that, um, a bun- bunch of uh, who's who in the poultry industry regarding that book. Uh, the magazine, chickenwhispermagazine.com, we would like for you to go over there and subscribe to the digital edition and, of course, the print edition if you like to actually have a real magazine sent to your mailbox. We do that all the time. Thousands of people subscribe to the print edition as well uh, as the digital edition. And again, look at who's actually writing for the magazine. Science based, fact based, study based information, not any of this that worked for me, it'll work for you. Or herbs do this, herbs do that, herbs do this. And it's not backed with any studies or any factual information. Um, are any of these homemade concoctions that they don't tell you what's in it or the amount that's in it um, or any of that stuff, uh, natural care and stuff like that. So um, we want to make sure we get you the stuff that's been proven that you can count on to help keep a healthy flock of chickens. I just talked and I've actually been put on a poultry uh, advisory board with others and um, we were talking about that actually today. We had a meeting Um, about um, mites and uh, the study that's going to be done at Auburn University with with mite um, control, not necessarily prevention, um, and uh, different products. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how that that plays out uh, over time. We'll share those results with you. But I'm glad to be on that advisory board because I told folks it would be interesting. I don't think the first go-around we're doing herbs, but I said it would be interesting to see. Um, let's and They're going to infect the chickens with a certain number of mites. They will be counting, actually, the, the mites. The uh, additive will be in the nest boxes, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, and I had mentioned on that advisory council today <laughs> about possibly herbs, and that if there's 9,000 mites on this bird, and at the end of the study, there's 7,000 mites on the bird, um, then I can see some folks in the poultry backyard industry taking that and starting to say, oh, look, herbs are a are, 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 are good natural treatment uh, for, for mites. And uh, I made the comment today, you know, if I have a chronic disease, um, I don't want less of it. I want it to be gone. If I have chickens, I don't want them to have any mites, let alone go from 9,000 to 7,000. I don't find that successful. I wouldn't find that method um, useful. But I guarantee you somebody's going to say, hey, guess what? Um, There are only 7,000 mites on the bird uh, after I used herbs. And um, (laughs) okay, if that makes you happy. And if you're happy with those results, uh, go ahead but not me. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that, and I'm glad to be on that advisory council. Thanks for tuning in. Today It's a great show with, again, Dr. Poteski teaching us all about heat stress and chickens. And we'll return next Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. God bless everybody. <laughs>